Now, I want to talk to you for a minute about, um, about this series going through Colossians. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? I've left one of the lights uh, up here in the room, as you uh, can tell. It's not quite as dark as it usually is, right? Maybe you noticed. Uh, and so it's not just so you can see the donuts better and get those donut holes, though that is very important. But, uh, but it is also uh, because I'm going to ask people to bring uh, your Bible to the, uh, to the services and actually, um, and actually, you know, have a paper Bible, okay? This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Have a paper Bible uh, that you can have in hand to follow along because I'm not going to put up uh, the, we're going through a whole chapter today, so I'm not going to put up the scripture on the screen. So what I would like for people to do is follow along in a Bible with me. And now if you have if you have your phone or an iPad or something, I get that. You can, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get mad or anything like that. But, but let me just say this about a paper Bible, okay? This is what struck me the other day, and uh, and I feel like it was really something that uh, that the Lord was impressing on me, uh, and that is that um, you remember back in the day when we would get in the car to go somewhere, and if you needed directions, what did you do? You pulled out a paper map, right? And you unfold the map and you hold it like this, you know, and you're looking all over here and somebody else is holding the other side of it, you know. And they're huge and all that, you know. But, but the reality of it is, you know, you'd pull out the paper map and I can remember plenty of times, you know, uh, having those maps in the door and, you know, in the glove compartment or whatever, you pull those out and you need to go to the other side of town or you need to go to another town. You get out the paper map, you find the route, right? And you follow, you kind of look at it, you, you know, and you, you make your way. And, and I thought, you know, in our day and age, you get in the car and you say, Siri, take me to blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, you know, turn here, okay, <laughs> you know, turn left, okay, you know. And eventually, you, you, you oftentimes end up at the right place. Now, I'm not going to say you always do. Maybe you've been in that situation before, too. You end up close, but you're maybe not exactly there. And I just got to thinking about how the map, the paper map gives you the layout of the land, amen? Like, I, you know... I was going somewhere downtown with somebody just a few days ago, and, and I typed, you know, pushed in where it was, and it came up. But then I minimized it on my phone, and I'm like, okay, I need to get a lay of the land, all right? I need to get a feel for where everything is uh, because, you know, if, if I get close and Siri takes me somewhere that's off course, then I need to know where I am, right? So, uh, so I, I hope this is making sense, okay? So, uh, so when you have the map, you know the lay of the land. You know where things are. You know, you know, you know how to get somewhere and the surrounding area. Not just because Siri tells you exactly how to get there, and you then you park and you're like, "Well, we got here somehow." Siri gave me the way, right? I think having a paper Bible is similar in that when you go through your Bible, you are having all kinds of stuff in there that you are getting familiar with as you open it and turn the pages. And if you have a study Bible like I do, 
you know, you open it up to Colossians, well, there's four or five pages beforehand that's telling you all about this letter and where it was written from and why it was written and to whom and what was going on and the key, uh, you know, the key scriptures in it and the general outline and layout of the whole thing. And you're just like, wow, you know, and then you get into the letter itself and you and you have a better idea because you've already kind of looked at that. And so, you, you know, you're like, OK, this is that part that it was talking about. I just feel like when you, we have a paper Bible in hand, there's something that we get the lay of the land and we understand, like if it's your Bible that you use every day, you're like, okay, I know where that is, you know. Even if you don't know the exact uh, scripture that's there, you're like, I highlighted that 10 years ago and I, ha- I know where it is. And so you turn to it and you're like, yep, there it is, you know. So you get a feel for it, you get an idea for it, you know the lay of the land better. And frankly, you know, I'm never going to try to lead you astray, but sometimes you don't just want to look on the screen and follow what's on the screen alone, but never get into your actual Bible yourself, okay? And that's with me or anybody else. You see on TV or you watch online or whatever, you know, you should always be going back to your Bible and getting the lay of the land for yourself, okay? So what I'm asking is that you'd bring uh, a paper Bible and if you don't have one, see me after. I'll get you one. I'm happy to give people Bibles if they need them. Uh, and, uh, and so just follow along with me as I read it over the next four weeks. Is that easy enough to do? Is that okay? So, you know, if I see you with your phone or your iPad, I'm not going to get mad or anything like that. Again, so, but, uh, but there's something about a paper Bible, and it's just, it's important. I think you get the lay of the land. Okay, enough said about that, right? All right, so we're going to go long today. You can already tell, right? Like, oh man, it's hot in here and we're going to go long. So that's the way it is. Uh, So we're starting in Colossians today. And Colossians is all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Amen? The supremacy of Christ. Now, when the Apostle Paul writes, he always follows a specific way of writing. And his way of writing is that there's doctrinal truths that are shared and then he follows that up with the practical ways of living that out. So if you read uh, through Paul's letters, that's what he does. He hits you with the doctrine first, and then, hey, and this is how that applies to life. This is how that works out in life. And here's how Christians are supposed to live that, right? And so Colossians is no different. Chapters 1 and 2 are focused on what Christ has done, and chapters 3 and 4 focus on what Christians should do to live that out. And uh, so, again, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about uh, a few things here. But today, chapter one is really going to focus on the supremacy of Christ declared. Now, the, again, the entire book is about the supremacy of Christ. Like, he's greater than all things, right? That Christ is greater than everything. He's the central theme of Colossians that Paul is writing to these believers. And uh, just that Christ is supreme. And that always has to be our central focus as well as the church and as followers of Jesus Christ, right? He is mankind's most supreme need. That is true. He is mankind's most supreme need. Uh, J.B. Lightfoot, an Anglican scholar, bishop, and theologian, he writes in his commentary on Colossians, he says, Christ alone fills up the void which lay between God and man, spans the gulf which separates the creator and creation, and to their cosmic speculations and their religious yearnings alike, 
Jesus Christ is the true answer. And he is indeed the true answer for us. He is supreme over all things. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at the supremacy of Christ defended. We're going to look at the supremacy of Christ demonstrated then also. So declared today, defended next week, and then demonstrated the final two weeks. All about what Christ has done and what Christians should do about that. That's the way it's laid out. You really want a a rudimentary breakdown, that's it. What Christ has done, what we do about that, okay? Doctrinal truths being lived out. Uh, So, and we, again, come back to this often. We know that we, we can't just know doctrinal truths. We don't just read the Bible and know these doctrinal truths, and that's good enough. If they're not lived out in our lives, then it's just, we're just fat Christians that know a lot of stuff, and, but we don't ever live it out, and it is kind of meaningless, right? So, as we've covered, uh, Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul. Um, it's written in the early A.D. 60s, um, and uh, he was a prisoner in Rome at this time, probably a house prisoner. He wasn't, it wasn't like a dungeon prison, but he was in a house probably uh, where he also wrote uh, Ephesians and uh, Philippians and Philemon, you know, these other uh, books. And so he could, in this place, have visitors, write things, send it with them, you know. So he sent off letters, uh, important letters, you know. Ephesians and Colossians are two of some of the most important letters that he sent out, uh, really. I mean, it teach, it, we learn so much from them. Um, and so, uh, you know, so again, that's where he was at this time. Now, Colossae itself, if you've never really looked into it or uh, done any digging on this uh, town, it was about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. Ephesus was a seaport. It was very busy. It was a very large city. And, um, and so, it, you know, it was of great importance um, for trade reasons and other. Um, but then inland from there, were, there were three towns, and one of them was Colossae, one of them was Laodicea, and one of them is Hierapolis. And so those were kind of the inland three towns, about 100 miles away. Colossae at one time was a fairly large and uh, more important, I'll say, city because there were a lot, of more, a lot more people there and it was more bustling with industry. Uh, but it had kind of uh, shrunk. And, um, and so but at, this, at the time of Paul writing this letter, it had slipped in as far as numbers and it was more of a small town feel with less prominence uh, than maybe it once had in its glory days or something. Uh, so, you know, it's a small town. Imagine that, a small town with a thriving and healthy church in it. Just saying. It happens, right? The church was not started by Paul. It likely, Paul never even visited there because of some of what we read here that we'll go through. But, uh, but he talks about in uh, verse 7 about a guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras is the one who likely started the church. Uh, He was a co-worker of Paul. He's mentioned in this letter more than one time. Um, But not only did did, uh, Paul not start the church in Colossae, but, uh, you know, he likely, again, never visited there. And uh, because we, we read that he heard of their faith, right? What he writes in here, he says, I, we've heard of your faith. And so the church probably was 
begun by an extension of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and then believers, Epaphras, taking the message, the gospel message, back to Colossae. So, in other words, the church in Colossae was not started by a professional church planter, okay? Somebody, they didn't say, well, I'm called to be a church planter, so I'm going to go do this in Colossae, and we're going to start something up. In fact, uh, it, it, just, it just wasn't, right? It was started by the people who took the gospel message from Ephesus to Colossae and shared that and spoke it with people in their lives, people that they knew, friends of theirs, the town itself. wasn't a huge town, but they shared the message uh, that they took back to their own town. And from that, the church began, okay? From that, the church in Colossae began. Yet also we see in chapter 4 and verse 17 that he encourages someone named uh, Archippus. And Archippus is said to be a fellow soldier in Philemon uh, verse 2, because there's only one chapter in Philemon. So Philemon verse 2. It could possibly mean that Archippus was the maybe the head of the church, the leader of the church there. Could be that Epaphras was the leader of the church there. But we know that Paul does say to, uh, to this Archippus, he says, uh, you know, make sure to let Archippus know uh, to carry on in the ministry that, that, he, that the Lord has given him, basically. So could be that either one of those guys was kind of the leader in the church and, and stuff. So they didn't just come back and start the church and then anybody did whatever they wanted to do. That's not the way to do it, and as Paul tells the Corinthians even, right? So, uh, so anyway, it could be any of those people. But this church met in the home of Aphia, and we just don't know exactly who was the pastor or the leader of that church uh, in Colossae. But we do know that it was strong and growing and that there was great things happening there. Now, the church is built on Jesus Christ, amen? The church is built on Jesus Christ. It's not built on any pastor's personality. It shouldn't be anyway uh, built on any pastor's personality. It should not be built on any building or a site. It, that's not the most important thing. It should not be built on any musical style uh, that is way better than the rest or whatever, you know. It's not built on a musical style. It's not built on any specific number of people that might be in the church or not. It's not built on any specific demographic. Like, if you're not between the ages of 25 and 40, we don't want you here, you know, or whatever. Uh, so it should never be built on those types of things. Those things are not supreme, okay? Those things are not supreme and that's why Colossians is so important because he's saying Jesus Christ is supreme, nothing else. Not any of these other things that are peripheral things that people look at and elevate all the time. Amen? Amen. All right. So Epaphras proclaimed and instructed is what we read in here. And in fact, uh, as we read uh, in here today, as we, we're going to read through the whole chapter, believe it or not. But as we read through here, we see uh, there's an interesting word. Uh, Paul states that the Colossians learned the gospel message from Epaphras. Now, the word used for learned, if you look that up, is, uh, is a Greek word, uh, monthano, is what it is. It's a Greek word, monthano, 
And it doesn't just mean head knowledge, okay? It doesn't mean that you learned, you know, from Epaphras this head knowledge that you know. But this word, uh, manthano, is also a word that means it's dual in nature. Yes, it's learning it, it, uh, and having gaining knowledge, but it's also experience by use and practice. So it means both. So they didn't just learn from listening to him and say, wow, thanks a lot, Epaphras. You gave us some good things to have in our head knowledge, you know. Now we're just smarter than ever. Uh, but it was that he lived it out, and they also saw it lived out, and it was in use and practice as well. And so I would say this. Our responsibility isn't merely to get people to know, you know, to have a head knowledge uh, or anything. It's not, uh, our responsibility isn't necessarily just to get people through the doors of the church, uh, you, though that certainly is something that is, uh, I would encourage, and it's not bad, you know, get people in here. That is great. But that's not our primary responsibility is get people to church. Our primary responsibility is to live out the gospel each and every day of our lives that other people could see in our lives the gospel lived out. And so by doing that, what are we doing? When we live out the gospel, we are instructing others. Amen? We're instructing others, uh, not just filling their head full of stuff. So, let's go through the first uh, 14 verses in Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing. And it also does, um, uh, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from it, uh, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, he calls the people at Colossae, what? Saints, right? I'm sorry there's no fan in here. I know it's hot, right? <laughs> I see people like, oh. uh, I'm the same way up here. I'm about to faint too. But, uh, but, you know, he calls the people in Colossae saints. Now, we don't tend to go around calling each other saints these days, but the reality of it is, if we are a believer in Christ, then we are saints. We are, some translations will read God's people, right? 
Uh, and, and, it, and it is the same. We are part of God's family in Jesus Christ. And so what it means is we are saints. We are God's people. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, uh, you too are a saint. If you are found in Jesus Christ positionally today, you are a saint. All right? So we need to know that. It's not, you know, people don't go back over your life and, and qualify you to be a saint or not to be a saint, and eventually, well, he was good enough. He did enough good work, so we'll make him a saint. That's not how this works. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. Um, so why, uh, well, why is that the case? You know, if we're in Christ, we're a saint, but why is that the case? And here's the reality. Because if we've traded our own efforts for righteousness for the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then we are in Christ. That's the key. There's not enough good works you could ever do to earn your way to salvation. It's only through the gift of Christ Jesus. And so when we are positionally in Him, we've received His righteousness, and we have put off any effort to try to earn it on our own. Amen? You with me? And he also singles out the idea of the faithful ones in Colossae, right? The faithful ones. And this might be an indication to us of what was kind of going on here. There was a false teaching that was creeping into the church, and he's warning them uh, uh, concerning this. He's concerned about this false teaching that's making its way in. And so he uses the term to the faithful ones, right? which might indicate that some were beginning to turn away and to follow this other teaching that was a false teaching. And so he's writing and saying to the faithful saints in Colossae, which is interesting to me, right? And, uh, and it's always about continuing on with the message that we heard from the beginning about Christ Jesus, the gospel that's able to save not any other message that people might bring or empty philosophy that somebody might bring our way as we see in our day and age, just like they saw in scriptural days. So we have to be careful about that, about false teaching creeping in. It seems to be here, like in much of the New Testament, it seems to be that, uh, that, there, that this is probably a Gnostic, uh, God, a Gnost, the Gnosticism that we see throughout other parts of the New Testament. The church was sort of a, uh, it was sort of believing in something that was called syncretism, right? And maybe you've heard of this before. Syncretism is uh, taking pieces and parts from different philosophies and religions and stuff and putting it together to kind of form something that's different and unique and it's, it's uh, your own kind of thing. Uh, and, and so it's combining these different thoughts to form this new way of thinking. Maybe you've heard of that even in our own day and age, which happens actually pretty frequently. So throughout the New Testament, we see this. And Gnosticism really at its core is about, uh, it's about emphasizing a special, deeper kind of knowledge that, uh, that it only... Uh, certain people can get. It's a mystical, deeper kind of knowledge. Uh, and it really denied Jesus Christ uh, as being God and Lord and Savior, right? And so what Paul writes here is to the faithful ones at Colossae, which is an important thing because that's who he writes to directly and prays for. And, and he says in here that he prays for them. Now, how often does he pray for them? Always, right? He says, well, pray for you always, now, how often does he give thanks for them? What does he say? 
always, right? He prays for them. He gives thanks for them. And as I was reading through this, uh, you know, this week, I had to stop and just ask myself even, and I'll pose the question to you too, how often do we pray for the faithful believers in our lives? How often are we praying for those who are in our lives? How often are we saying, God, thank you for these people in our lives? Uh, you know, do we always do that? I mean, I think if you're like me, you could probably do a better job at remembering people and praying for them and being grateful and thankful for them in your lives. Because uh, here's the deal. I, I believe we're a truly blessed church here at FLC Carlton. okay? I do believe that we're a blessed church because I've been a part of churches um, where it was much more difficult to be thankful and uh, grateful for some of the people that were there. Uh, it just not, you know, not going to pull any punches with you. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I, it led me to not pray for them as much either. And so maybe you've noticed that in your own life. Sometimes when you're a little standoffish about somebody, you're like, I really don't feel like praying for them, you know? What if we bypassed that and came back to the place where we're like, okay, we're going to be grateful and thankful and pray for the people in our lives. In, you know, in this church, we are so blessed with amazing people, right? Great people who, um, I just feel like there's something, and, and I don't know, you can tell me if you feel the same thing, but I felt something last Sunday that was really powerful, okay? We were, I mean, it seemed like y'all wanted to really be around each other, okay? <laughs> and it was like, this is amazing. Like, like, we prayed for each other, you know? It was just like, you know, we opened it up to a greeting time right at the end of, uh, or, you know, at the introduction time, and Man, people, you know, people were just greeting each other, walking around and stuff. We had to kind of yank each other back, you know, people back and get to your chairs again, you know, that type of thing. But it was really powerful, you know? And I, I do feel like we are at a place where we might be, it, it sent, I sense that we're shifting a little bit more to be a closer-knit, more kind of intimate group of people who uh, really appreciates and loves each other to a deeper uh, degree and level. Now, that was what I felt last Sunday. I hope maybe you felt that too, uh, but it was really, really a, a, a cool spirit in the room last week. Now, what leads the church to love like this, right? We asked the question, what leads the church to love like this? And what Paul says here to the Colossians is it's a shared faith and a confident hope in what is to come, Right? It's a shared faith and a confident hope, which is secure salvation in Christ and a secure destination with Christ, which leads to good works and serving others. Have you ever noticed that about the church? We don't work from our position or for our position in Christ. We work from our position in Christ, all right? Uh, Martin Luther, the, the reformer, um, had a, a right-hand man a sidekick, and his name was Philip Melanchthon. And so if you go and read about Martin Luther, you'll often read about Philip Melanchthon as well. He was kind of, again, his right-hand man. He worked directly with him. And he says this. He was a German uh, theologian and reformer as well. But he said this, their good works are acts of gratitude for the reward already received. What we do flows from our position in Christ we're not doing good works trying to gain a position uh, in Christ. And so we have to remember that. And that's Paul, what Paul says to the Colossians here. The Colossian believers, uh, their lives were changed, right? 
The good news of the gospel changed their lives, and it was circulating widely. They were saved by grace through the true gospel message of Jesus Christ through the faithful servant Epaphras, and, uh, which was in contrast to what they were hearing from other false teachers that were in that day and trying to worm their way into this. But the evidence of their salvation is found in faith, hope, and love, right? Verses 4, 5, and 8 speak to that. It's found in faith, hope, and love. And it's through Jesus that we too have a deep faith, an abiding love, and a hope for a blessed future uh, because all those fruits are worked out in our lives by who? By Jesus, by the Holy Spirit in us, right? Those are worked out in us. And so uh, as believers, that's what we have too, a deep faith, an abiding love, and a blessed future. We know that it is secure. Paul continued to pray uh, prayers for them, and here's what he said on a, uh, in, in this portion. He prayed for them that they would know God's will, that they would walk so as to please God, that they would bear fruit, that they would have a growing understanding of God, and that they would know his glorious power. And frankly, that's a prayer that I want people praying for me, man. I'll tell you that right now. And I think as a church, that would be something that would be amazing if we were people who prayed in these ways for each other. Because sometimes, sometimes our prayers are quick and shallow, and there's nothing wrong with quick prayers. But the reality of it is, how often do we really pray deep things like this for each other? That you would walk so as to please God, to know God's will, to bear fruit, have a growing understanding of God, and to know and experience His glorious power. If we prayed for each other in this way, what might God do? What might we see, right, as the body here in Carleton? In Christ, we are transferred from the domain of darkness, as Paul says to the Colossians. In Christ, they're transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, from dark to light. Because before Christ, maybe I'll ask you this, do you remember that you were walking in darkness? You remember what it was like to walk in darkness and not know that you were in darkness or headed for destruction, or maybe you did know that you are headed for destruction, but you didn't care, right? And then somewhere along the way, an Epaphras brought the gospel, and you responded to the gospel, and you too were transferred from the kingdom of darkness or the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son or of light, right? From Satan's domain to Christ's kingdom. Man, that's a great exchange. Amen? So the gospel of Jesus Christ is supreme. Let's go through 15 through 29 quickly here. I'm going to read through it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or supreme. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and on which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden from, uh, for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of the, this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, with, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So there's, a, there's three things here, basic, basically three sections that Paul talks about Christ being supreme in. The first section, verses 15 through 17, talk about Christ being supreme in creation, that, uh, that he is supreme in and over and through all of creation. The Gnostic teaching was that Christ was not, he was not God, but that he was a creation or created by God. And so Paul refutes that, and he declares Jesus is the exact image of God, the exact image of God. And this word exact here, the exact image, means that it describes both the likeness and the manifestation of God. If you go look up that word, it has both of those things as part of its meaning, that it's the likeness and the manifestation, meaning uh, that Jesus was both the visible image of God and also the physical manifestation of God, existing always and through him all things were created and sustained. Jesus was not created by God when he came to earth and it was like, oh, he didn't exist prior to that. He has always existed. And so this Gnostic teaching was he was a created being from a supreme God, but that is not. And so Paul's refuting that, saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. So, He's supreme in creation, holds all things together, uh, and so he always has existed, all right? And so he's supreme over that. It says in verse 18 through 23 that Christ is supreme in the church, right? That he's preeminent or supreme in the church. He is the head of the church, okay? Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body, all right? And Paul talks about that in all kinds of other places in Scripture about being the body of Christ. So guess what? We're not the head of the church, okay? Just so you know, in case you thought you were, you're not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body. Paul says he's the firstborn, and he was raised from the dead that we too might be raised to life in him. Man, that's good news. All y'all should be like, yes, amen. In his bodily form here on earth, he was completely God, as well as being completely human, all right? So you can't take one of those away and say Jesus was just divine or he was just human. Uh, th- it doesn't work like that. It can't be like that. He was, both, uh, he was both divine and human, what we call the hypostatic union. You can go read about that. We don't have time to really get into that today. But he was fully God and he was fully man. So 
the Gnostic false teaching was that Jesus' physical body was not real, but that, here's what they believe, that, a, that a, his spirit descended on his body at baptism and then left his body before crucifixion. So the spirit was different than the body, right? And uh, so he seemed physical, they said and taught, but he actually wasn't physical. So, you know, kind of an emanation or something of that nature. But we believe that Jesus was both divine and human in nature, and he has also reconciled faithful believers to God. And faithful believers who continue on in Christ are the true church. Right? That's what he's saying. If you continue on to the end, you are the true church, the faithful ones who are in Christ. Because there is a visible church and there is an invisible church. And the visible church is everybody who's physically in the church on a Sunday morning or whenever they gather. The invisible church is the ones who are truly saved, who have committed their lives to Christ and are faithful followers of Him. You have to know, not everybody who walks through the doors of a church and stays for years and years is actually saved. Do we know that? It's in Christ. You can be in here and you can do a lot of the same things and look just like everybody else and follow the, the, the way we structure things out and never actually commit your life to Christ to be found in Christ uh, on that last day. And frankly, that's what Paul is saying here as we kind of end is that Christ is supreme in his ministry. So he wasn't just some form or anything like that, that Christ is supreme in his ministry. Paul, you know, how he ends here, for this I toil. What does he toil for? What does he struggle and toil with? To present, to present people mature in Christ, right? To present the people mature in Christ. And him we proclaim, right? I'm going to read that 27 through 29 again. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches and glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you. So the mystery isn't actually unknowable. The mystery he's talking about is Christ in us. Remember in the Old Testament? The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't inside the people. The Holy Spirit would come down and empower people for a work of service or something like that. That's what you'll find in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the mystery that he's talking about is simply Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so he's warning everyone and teaching. Paul says, I'm warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this he toils and struggles. And frankly, I would say the, true, the same should be true uh, of anyone who leads other people, that your goal should be to present people mature in Christ, to build them up, to teach and instruct, and also to live that out. It's not just about head knowledge again. It's about living it out as well. And so may that be what we pursue as the church. J.B. Phillips, uh, the paraphrase Bible, states Colossians 1.27 like this. He says, the secret is simply this, Christ in you, yes, Christ in you, bringing with him the hope of all glorious things to come. We look forward to that day, amen? We look forward to that day. We live it out now. We, we live here and we lead here and we share that hope that everybody could have that too, right? That Jesus Christ is supreme and it's through him that we have right standing with 
God. And that's the first thing that Paul declares here in the first chapter is that the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is declared, right? Clearing up all of the errors that they're hearing from other people, but that Christ in his true nature and form is declared. And may we be a church that does the same thing. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that uh, you have given Jesus uh, your Son, to be supreme over all things, that we can find in Him, that we can find salvation and eternal life. Lord, and that eternal life doesn't only start uh, on the day that we die, but it starts immediately when you change us and when you make us new in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to be people who understand this message and who share that message and who uh, live that out uh, every day of our lives. Lord, we want to not only speak that to others around us, but we want our lives to show that to others around us as well. Thank you for this uh, letter to the Colossian church that we can learn from so many years later, God, and the truths that we find in it. Your word is powerful and strong, Lord. May we be people who, uh, who know your word and get the lay of the land and understand it, Lord. And so we pray these things today in Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue Him.